Hello and welcome to Critical Eye and My name's Tom Radlick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. It's that time of the year again when we start to look at what banks have done and how banks have performed uh, and, and all of the accounting firms. There's a beauty of parade of accounting firms that comes out every time of this year and does those various reviews of the banking sector. But EY obviously is one of them. And uh, I'm joined today by EY partner Tim Drink, who looks after the financial services sector in the Oceania region for us young. Um, and we're going to talk about what the key findings are in the work EY has done uh, on the banking sector. Tim, thank you for joining me again. Great to be with you, Tom. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolute pleasure. Now, I've had a look at the, the report that you produced and there's some interesting numbers in there. What are the key uh, figures that we're, we're looking at this time around? Tom, I think we're seeing probably a few key trends um, coming through this, uh, this year's numbers. Perhaps at a headline number, uh, cash earnings has rebounded from this time last year. So aggregate cash earnings right across the big four banks was uh, $26.8 billion. Uh, that, that's quite a big increase from this time last year. Um, it's up by 55%. That's mainly due to uh, the reversal of impairment charges that the banks had really been setting aside, um, you know, through COVID-19. We saw that come through, uh, a fair bit come through, both uh, on CBA's numbers at 30 June, uh, and then obviously the banks at 30 September 2020. Um, when there was a lot of uncertainty out there with, with COVID-19, um, we weren't sure how big this problem was going to be, how wide this pandemic, and how deep it would run and how long it would run for. And uh, perhaps more importantly, Tom, was there ever going to be a vaccine developed? And um, so really it was sort of setting aside and looking at all of those scenarios that may play out. Uh, the banks did a lot of modelling. Um, you know, best case, worst case of what they that may uh, that uh, that impact may be across their credit books. So we saw some big provisions being established right across the sector. They're starting to wind those back, and and through this uh, reporting period, we've seen that uh, that occur. Probably fair to say that there is still a little bit of uncertainty out there, Tom. And there's some sectors that haven't rebounded as quickly as others. So some of those sort of COVID-19 credit provisions um, still exist on the balance sheet for some of those banks as they they uh, cautiously monitor that. And it's probably something, Tom, that's not going to be play out quickly. Um, this is clearly a, a very drawn out pandemic. Um, so th those provisions might stay on the balance sheet and may require adjusting from time to time, perhaps over several reporting periods. The other big theme we've seen coming through is net interest margin. And um, look, I've commented before on your podcast, it has been a, a declining story, um, if you like, net interest margins. Once again, they, they have declined only by three basis points over the, uh, over the last 12 months. But most of the banks experienced a decline in net interest margin, um, mainly due to heavy competition that certainly exists in the, uh, in the mortgage market at the moment. Perhaps the other key feature um, what the sort of return on equity is looking like for the banks uh, with the rebounding earnings, uh, we've seen return on equity um, hit about 9.9% on average across the big four banks. This is well and truly below perhaps some of the heyday uh, period in, in Australian banking where we saw uh, double digit um, 
uh, ROE numbers, Tom, you know, the 14s, 15s, 16%, um, we're certainly far from, from those days at the moment. So um, they're probably some of the key the key features. I think asset growth um, has been it's been modest. Um, some banks have, have grown at system, some haven't grown at system. Um, but what is pretty pervasive right across the banks is the, the big increase in deposits. Um, we are seeing households sitting on a lot of money, a lot of cash, uh, and that's finding its way through in the deposit books of the, of the major banks at the moment. Uh, well, it might be finding its way into the deposit books uh, of the banks. People are still not seeing a lot of return, at least in the short term, are they, from, in terms of interest rates? No, that's right. And that's really, um, you know, I guess that the banks have benefited from some of that. Whilst there's a lot of competition um, on the lending rate, on the pod deposit side, um, you know, there hasn't been intense competition there. So the banks have been able to benefit from uh, much lower funding costs through deposits and um, also with the term funding facility that the RBA had uh, put in place and the Treasury had put in place. So um, I think those those factors have really helped support uh, and provide some additional buffer for contracting margins across the sector. There are a couple of uh, couple of things that are sort of COVID related, I guess, in, in some ways. Um, we're starting to see a bit more, I guess, a bit of noise in the market about housing and then people looking looking to buy. What's the what's the market like in, in with respect to housing loans? Yeah, look, it has been a really hot market, Tom. We have seen quite significant growth in um, in uh, in volume, um, not only in, I'll call it system growth, but also refinancing has been probably more prevalent in the last uh, 12 to 18 months than perhaps what we've seen um, for some time. Probably a couple of things um, that have arisen there. One is the uh, the low rate environment. So therefore, some of those borrowers that uh, were perhaps on higher rate, uh, whether it be broker-introduced loans or those that were direct to bank, have seen this as an opportunity to, to refinance. Um, we've also seen a higher bias towards fixed rate loans, whether they be sort of one, two-year and out to five-year tenors. Um, that has been, I'll call it a more of a shift towards fixed rate borrowing than perhaps what we've seen historically. And uh, at the same time, we've probably also seen interest only loans and investor loans probably not grow at the same pace that, that, uh, that what they probably grew at uh, four or five years ago as well. And one of the other trends emerging out of COVID now, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, it's a separate issue. Um, and that is uh, people have been uh, forced to migrate to, to digital banking if they really haven't done so before because going out was kind of hard. Um, what have been the implications for the banking sector for moving for, for that particular phenomenon because I'm hearing that there are branches being closed more readily now. Is that as a result of the fact that customers are getting more used to you know, doing business online? 
It's a really good question, Tom. And I think uh, perhaps COVID-19 has accelerated uh, some of these experiences, whether it be in banking, retail, or purchasing a coffee. Um, I think um, right across that consumer base, contactless uh, services, um, cashless services have been on the rise and, uh, and banking is no different. Um, I think there is still an important role that the branches play, but we are seeing that, um, that preference by consumers. And in fact, many of them, Tom, have, uh, have never adopted digital banking prior to COVID-19. So you see this wave of new customers migrate to digital channels. And that's been really important in COVID. Um, we've probably also seen the other aspects of you know, the branch network decline, whether it be the size of the branch, the products on offer across the branch network. Um, but, you know, that is changing. That is changing dramatically. But, you know, that trend is, is pretty consistent with, with what we're, you know, also seeing in other parts of the economy as well, Tom. You know, the, perhaps the retail footprint looks a little bit different to what it looked like pre-COVID. So I think all of those experiences are, you know, there's different experiences that are playing out and, um, you know, consumers are getting more and more comfortable in, um, you know, transactions that, that perhaps aren't occurring face-to-face -face like they used to. I think perhaps the other thing too, that there's no doubt the branch also plays an important role in acquiring customers. Um, still, you know, a significant portion of loans are still written through the branch network. It's an important um, channel for the banks, but perhaps where they're located, the size of them uh, and the extent of that footprint is, is likely to change over time. The, uh, and I guess the other, one of the other issues that I wanted to touch on briefly uh, is the, the more general issue of sort of the reporting that banks have done, uh, particularly given we've just, in, we've just finished up with COP26 and there's some developments in London about sustainability reporting. What are the general, what's the general vibe that you're getting in terms of non-financial reporting as opposed to the, the stuff that people are used to playing with? What, what, what are the things that you're noticing as a general observation? Tom, we would, um, you know, we've seen right across the board that, that ESG has really been at the forefront. And um, we released our uh, risk survey in conjunction with the IIF um, uh, over the, over the last few months ago, to be honest. And um, we, we've seen from that uh, research and data where we've surveyed uh, directors, where we've surveyed CROs uh, across banks, both Australian banks and global banks, how important ESG is now on the risk radar for institutions. Um, and we've seen, you know, if, if it's it's right up there in the, the top three or four risks um, that, that banks are, are working through at the moment. And that, that has really risen up those uh, risen up those tables, Tom. And I think they're also seeing, um, you know, pressure from consumers, pressure from um, proxy advisors, shareholders, institutional investors, really demand more from financial institutions around the role they play in uh, in addressing global warming and, and climate change. So um, it, it is really at the forefront. And I think, um, you know, whether it be through AGMs, um, we, we're seeing a lot of questions 
um, faced by, by boards uh, around the role that they play and will play going forward in sustainability. And I think there's two aspects of that. You know, their, their, um, their posture on what they do with uh, their client base, particularly those that uh, do have a, have a significant carbon footprint mm -hmm. on the world. Um, do they bank them? Do they not bank them? Uh, how they deal with those customers that are also in transition. Um, and these transition plans do not occur overnight. We're talking about decades of, of transition required for some of these bigger corporates. And not to forget, Tom, that behind these corporates uh, are also employees with mortgages and, and with deposits. Um, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders to manage through this as the, you know, as the financial institutions navigate to, you know, that transition environment. Uh, but there's also, I guess, institutional uh, investors are, are looking at what banks and, and other entities do in the environmental space, aren't they? Well, they are. And I think we know we've seen through COP26, Tom, that, you know, the banks have a significant role. All financial institutions have a significant role and the role that corporates play in supporting uh, transition to net zero. That's, uh, and that's a nice segue to, uh, where, to, to conclude our uh, six-monthly discussion, Tim. We've had a few of these, and it's been interesting to watch the way in which that the banking sector has you know, grappled with COVID and now gradually moving out of it. Where can people find the material that, that, that's been released today? Uh, they want to Great follow there's a, Yeah, there's a thorough analysis of uh, the big four bank results uh, on our website. So um, if your listeners uh, and followers go to ey.com, um, they'll find a full extract uh, and analysis, including quite a handy uh, dashboard that goes through some of those key metrics that I touched on. Tim, thank you so much for joining me again. You're welcome. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure.